Welcome to From Beer to the Bible with your host, Urban Lee. Each week, you'll hear stories from Urban's road to sobriety and steps you can take to help you or a loved one find healing through Jesus Christ. Now here's your host, Urban Lee. Good evening. This is your host, Urban Lee. From Beer to the Bible, you can find more information about the book at FromBeerToTheBible.com. You can support Hampton Ministries at HamptonMinistries.org. We're going to get right into it. I want to start, as I always do, anchoring us in the Word of God with a prayer. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your compassion, and your long-suffering towards us. Please bless us and lead us and guide us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've got a very special guest, Randy Grimes. Randy, say hello. Hey, everybody. (laughs) We are so happy to have you, Randy. You're a great motivational speaker and recovery speaker, and you're a big-time NFL alumnus and played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and now you're doing great work at White Sands Treatment Center in Florida. So I wanted to welcome you, and we also have my co-host, Scott. Hey, everybody. Well, Scott and Randy have known each other for a while, and Randy so graciously agreed to let us interview him today on the show and talk about recovery. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to have you here, Randy. I know we met through a uh, mutual friend that's a good friend of each of ours that you played ball with at uh, Baylor under uh, legendary Grant Taft, and uh, he knew your story and he knew my story and thought the two of us should connect, and we've talked off and on the past few years, and I'm, it's, I'm excited to finally be able to connect with you in this platform and, and, and do something together. So thanks for being here. Yeah, this is awesome. And I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity, you know, especially, especially with everything that's going on right now, you know, I'm grateful, first of all, that we could even virtually, you know, get around the country and, and get our message of hope out. But, but, you know, I'm really grateful to be, to be speaking to this audience in Dallas. You know, I'm an East Texas boy. Right. Right. That's right. Tyler, Texas. That's right, man. Tyler Roses. Yep, Tyler Roses. So tell us a little bit about uh, just your story and your journey, right? I know you, you were at Baylor and then the NFL and had a great career. And uh, like many of us, you know, we, we've, you know, all three of us had our successful careers in our own right. But then we hit that point of we found ourselves in a situation there was no way out of and, and we didn't think there was any hope. And fortunately, we were the lucky ones. You know, I was born and raised, like I said, in Tyler, and I had the greatest parents in the world. Never saw them once touch a drop of alcohol or anything like that. Had had great role models in my brother and sister who were older. You know, football was, I won't say football was religion, but it was as close to it as you could get. Yeah. And, you know, everything in our family centered around football. And, you know, even my life back then was football and pasture parties, Friday night lights, you know, girls, pickup trucks, all that stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there was no history of substance abuse in my family anywhere. Uh, But football always came easy for me. And, um, you know, the scouts started coming around and and looking at other players, and I was noticed. And, you know, God blessed me with the opportunity to go play anywhere in the Southwest Conference that I wanted to. And, um, you know, I chose Baylor had a sister there and I wanted to play for the, for, for coach Taft. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I got to Baylor. I met my wife the very first day, our freshman year. I married her after our junior year. She was going to teach. I was going to coach and I'm going to live that all American dream. And, uh, still there was no indication of, uh, of what lied ahead for me. There was no history of substance abuse, but, you know, I didn't do anything crazy in college. Everything mm-hmm. was 
everything was focused around uh, football and her. And again, you know, uh, football came easy for me. And, yeah. you know, I noticed the scouts coming around looking at the seniors uh, my junior year. And I got to thinking, you know, maybe I can make something of this. You know, I, I couldn't believe that somebody was going to pay me to play a game that I would have gladly played for free. Right. So I, you know, I started getting serious about my junior year and having a great senior year. And, uh, um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to, to be drafted by Tampa in the second round, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the 47th player taken in the 1983 draft. And, uh, you know, Tampa had just come off a playoff year. That was a strike shortened 82 year. So I was right. excited to be going to a, a playoff contender. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I can still remember Coach uh, Coach McKay. <clears throat> first time I ever talked to him, you know, hearing him on the other end of that telephone, and uh, you could you knew he had a cigar in his mouth because he he was just mumbling that gruffy <laughs> old voice. And uh, I can I can remember him saying, "Randy, welcome to Tampa Bay. We just drafted you in the second round. Uh-huh. See you tomorrow." And click. Oh wow! And you know. Here I was, a kid from East Texas who had never even seen the ocean. I didn't know where Tampa was. <laughs> but, you know, I, we, were, we were grateful to, to have the opportunity to, to start our, well, not only my career in football, but also our family and my, our, our lives together mm-hmm. out in Tampa, Florida. And, uh, you know, we were in Waco at the time, and we hooked uh, a small U-Haul to the back of an old Burgundy Cutlass Supreme, and we left Waco and drove to Tampa, Florida. And we were we were so excited. And, and you know, I remember I remember uh, getting in that locker room at One Buck Place, and I had a locker right next to Leroy Selman, and okay. he was really the first real conversation that I had in the locker room, and and. Uh, I learned a, a couple things that day from that first conversation. And that and, and the first thing was that football was not a game anymore. It was yeah. now a job. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I learned was to do whatever I had to to stay out on that field because if I wasn't out on that field, then somebody else was going to be, yeah. and they were going to take your position. And, you know, you didn't want to get that reputation of always being on the injury report or always – uh, waiting in line to see the doctor or always yeah. having the trainers work on you back there or always missing practice. You didn't want to get that reputation because that was a, that was one you were never going to get away from and what was sure to be a short NFL career. So, you know, I played in an era where, you know, we beat the heck out of each other all week. Yeah. And, and then we just barely had enough left in the tank to, to play on Sunday that, I call it that old junction boy mentality, you know, <laughs> that bear Bryant, yep. where if you don't practice hard, you won't play hard. Mm-hmm. And, and actually it should have been just the opposite, you know? Yeah. And um, so doing whatever I had to, to stay out on that field meant taking handfuls of pain pills every day and practicing through the, the injuries and, and, and the pain and, and handfuls of sleeping pills at night to get to sleep through them. Through the throbbing pain, you know, I was I was willing to do whatever I had to, and I looked at it more like a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm getting it from the team doctor, so it must be okay, or I'm getting it from the trainer, so yeah, you know, everybody must be down with this, or, or I'm getting it from teammates, so it must be the culture of the NFL. 
you know, those are ways that I justified what I was calling a necessary evil, but what it really was was a full-blown addiction. And, uh, you know, not in, in the in the eight and a half, maybe nine years that this went on, uh, you know, not once did anybody ever come up to me and say, hey, Randy, why aren't you slurring your words? Or, yeah. or Randy, why are you nodding off in meetings? Or why are you late to practice every day? Or... Why are you the last to leave the building every night? Pills are missing out of the drug safe. Nobody ever asked me those questions because I was always playing good. Yeah, and that that seems to be the key is that you were out there and you were playing good, right? And did you at any point say to yourself, I, "I'm I'm addicted to these pills. I'm I'm in a bad situation." Did you have any awareness of it? I don't remember. I mean, in the end, towards the end of my career, yes. Mm -hmm. But leading up to that point, no, I justified it so good. You know, I was I was doing whatever I had to. It's kind of that North Dallas mentality, North Dallas 40 mentality where, you know, you you do what you have to to stay out there. You know, it progressed to the point. And to answer your question, it progressed to the point that's necessary evil to where the last two years of my career, I was playing games and practicing in complete blackouts. You know, I was taking, <clears throat> I was taking so much medication before games mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, I would, I, I would be home late at night, like 11, 12 o'clock at night after playing a one o'clock Sunday afternoon football game on national TV. And uh, I would start coming around and, you know, I'd be all beat up, scratched up and fingernails all torn up and dehydrated and everything that you are after an NFL football game. And I didn't remember a single down. Wow. And, and I had just played every down at offensive center where I was calling audibles. I was changing plays. I was getting guys going in the right direction, getting them blocking the right people, mm-hmm. you know, changing blocking schemes. And I was doing all of that in a blackout the last two years of my career. And so I knew then that I had a problem. Mm -hmm. And then also during my last year, I had some, some shoulder surgery and uh, I had to come off all the medication that I was taking unprescribed. And uh, I had a seizure as a result of the withdrawal. And, you know, they couldn't figure it out. They, they put me through this battery of tests, you know, checking for seizure disorder, or yeah. epilepsy, things like that. And uh, nobody ever figured out it was because of the withdrawal from the medication. And, uh, yeah, I knew, I knew then I had a problem. Now, did your wife say anything uh, to you as you were going through and, and spiraling into this addiction? Did she notice? Did she give you any feedback or express any concerns at all? Well, I mean, we were practicing in 110 degree heat Mm -hmm. and we were beating the heck out of each other every day. So me coming home after practice during the week and crashing on the couch or crashing in the bed, it was not an indication to her that something was going on. She just thought I was tired and she thought I was beat up. You know, It, it, it wasn't a red flag for her. And, you know, she she hasn't been around anything like that. So that would have been her her last, um, you know, uh, thought is that I was abusing prescription medication. So, uh, no, she never really caught on until, you know, later in my retired life. 
Okay. Well, and it's, I think it's interesting how we do that. I, I was the same way in the last couple of years of, of my, you know, my alcoholism. I, I lived it in a blackout, yet I'm traveling around the world working on $100 million deals, you know, and nobody thought anything, you know, but I've got the shakes. I've got the blackouts. I don't remember what I did the day before, but then I'd come home, you know, my family thought, well, he's jet lagged, but there was a point there. I knew I wasn't jet lagged, but you know, I, but yeah, I played that up. Right. Cause I, I didn't want the gig to be up cause I didn't know what to do and I knew right. I couldn't live without it. And that was frightening. Uh, and, and then that's, you know, the, I certainly had a lot of guilt and shame leading up to that, but man, it really started to spiral in that last two years of, I don't know what to do. And this is getting worse. And, right. you know, there's an end coming and it doesn't look pretty, hmm. you know, and, and, uh, that's just a, that's a frightening place to be where you think you have no hope and no way. Yeah. Out. Randy, yeah, I, like I, that deep, dark pit that you can't get out of. Yeah. And Randy, I want to ask you a question because you said something earlier about football. And it's an identity question. Do you, as it relates to your career in football being so important for such a long part of your life, would you believe that most of your identity was wrapped up in who you were as a football player? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, that that's everything that I was, was associated with putting that uniform on, mm-hmm. you know? And people even ask me now what I miss most about football, and, and it's not being on that field between those bleachers or under the lights. You know, it's I miss the locker room. I miss that camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, my I always say that I allowed football to become who I was instead of just something I was really good at. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that happens to a lot of us. Yeah. A lot of us are wrapped up in our, our whole identity is based in our – what we what we accomplish or 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 what we 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 do for a living and uh, you know that's a that's a lot of the things that we work on now with athletes in recovery is that transition mm-hmm. you know we we don't do transition very well we're never as prepared as we think we are right and it's not just professional sports you know it's uh you know executives leaving the working world it's veterans you know you know leaving the service it's uh it's people that uh, struggle through broken homes or, or college kids that graduate and can't find a job. You know, transition is tough. And yeah. as Americans, it seems like our first reaction is to self-medicate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We see we see that a lot. And I like the way you made the connection, not just in sports, but just in life in general, because when you have to make that transition, we get very comfortable in our job our, our uh, vocation, whatever it is that has become our identity. And one of the things that I learned personally in recovery is not to wrap my identity up in anything but Christ. Right. So continue on with your testimony and, and telling us how you kind of spiraled uh, down the ladder into uh, greater addiction. Well, and uh, you know, uh, in the 10 years that I was at Tampa, I had five different head coaches. I had six different offensive line coaches. Mm-hmm. I had uh, 10 or 12 different quarterbacks and a couple of different general managers. We were a uh, revolving door of players, coaches, front office people. Mm-hmm. But the one consistent thing about the Bucks in that decade was Randy Grimes at center. I seemed to survive every coaching change or player change or, yeah. or GM change. But, uh, 
you know, my last year, it was after the 1992 season, I was, uh, we had played our last game on Sunday. We came in on Monday. Mm-hmm. And back then, you would come in, you'd clean your locker out, you'd, you'd watch the game film from the day before, you'd have an exit meeting with your coach, and you, you'd pretty much just leave town until minicamp started up again in spring. Yeah. Now it's more of a uh, year-round job. But back yeah. then, uh, it was a little different. And I was – this particular day, though, after that last game, uh, I was standing at my locker and I felt somebody walk by me. And right next to my locker was the door that exited our locker room and went into the coaches' offices. And uh, I felt somebody walk behind me. I felt the breeze go by. I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I heard the words, Randy, your services won't be needed here oh, wow. in Tampa anymore. And, and, what it, and as I turned to look, all I saw was the back of Sam Wise hitting that silver bar in the middle of that door and exiting the locker room. And, you know, he didn't even have the, the courtesy or or, wow. or or whatever you want to call it to stop and look me in the eye and say, Randy, we're going to go another way. You know, he, he didn't even slow down. Wow. And wow. I can remember thinking, is that how it ends? Mm-hmm. You know, all the – all the blood, sweat, and tears that I've left on football fields all over this country since fourth grade, really. And and that's how it ends. Uh, a coach that I don't really even like, a coach that has no loyalties to me, a coach that's only had me for a year, yeah, doesn't even have the courtesy to slow down and look me in the eye and tell me that it's over. And I can just remember, uh, you know, I, I – I don't think I expected to have a parade or a street named after me or anything, but <laughs> right. I guess I never thought it was going to end like that. And I, I remember just raking everything out of my locker into a black trash bag mm-hmm. and walking out the back door and, and Randy Grimes, the football player didn't exist anymore. And the, and the reason I bring that up is because that was throwing gasoline on an already raging fire, which was my addiction. Right. You know, the fact that, that I didn't have that uniform to put on anymore, that I didn't, I wasn't going to get that playbook every Monday mm-hmm. anymore, that I wasn't going to have that itinerary to follow every day. Yeah. You know, and, and I struggled for a long time when I left the game. You know, the injuries just kept getting worse. Uh, the, 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 the chronic pain kept getting worse. Uh, the tolerance to the medication kept getting more and more. I needed more and more pills. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was a full-time job shopping all over Houston for a doctor shopping all over Houston. And, uh, you know, the, the new normal now was ambulance rides and, uh, hospital stays and, and, uh, lost jobs and lost cars and houses and money and, relationships that was the new normal because i couldn't stop doing what i was doing mm-hmm. when did you finally reach your bottom well unfortunately 20 plus years later mm-hmm. i mean it seems like the perfect storm was happening in the spring and summer of 2009 i had a really good friend that i played with named tom McHale. Mm-hmm. i played right next to him for for many years and uh, he was doing the same thing i was doing he was out there self-medicating the injuries he got while he played for the bucks yeah. and one morning he just didn't wake up oh my god and uh, that got my attention mm-hmm. uh i'd had a, another series of seizures as a result of withdrawal and i was having all kinds of health concerns and scares yeah um 
my daughter just had my first grandchild and she wouldn't let me come around him because I wasn't fit to be around him. And then also my wife, my college sweetheart, cheerleader, dream girl, yeah. just couldn't do it anymore. You know, mm-hmm. she, 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 she couldn't love me to death anymore. Yeah. And so she had to, uh, she had to kind of remove herself for a while. So those were all, all part of that perfect storm. And, um, you know, and, 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 and September 22nd, uh, 2009 is when I finally put up my hand and asked for help. And, you know, I, I can remember we, we had lost or I had lost another house and, uh, it didn't go in foreclosure, but it was close. Somebody swooped in and saved us right at the last minute. Right. But they weren't going to take possession of that house for about another 90 days. So I stayed in that house with no furniture and uh, no uh, no utilities, no furniture. I didn't have a car out there. I lost that. I'd yeah. lost my job. I didn't have any money. I just slept in the floor of that vacant house. And I can remember thinking, you know, I was a, uh, a, a second round draft pick, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was, uh, I married my, my, my dream girl wife. Yeah. I had two great kids. I, uh, uh, I was a 1988 NFL man of the year for the Bucs. I was a pro bowler. And here I am laying in the floor of a vacant house with no utilities, no car, no job, no money, practically no relationships. And um, I can just that that's my most vivid bottom memory of it is just laying there thinking, how did it come to this? Right. And, and uh, you know, my wife was willing to make one more phone call for me and uh, whoever she called at the league office in New York. Uh, back then, they didn't have any resources for former players. But whoever she talked to that day knew somebody who knew somebody. And that's how I got on that airplane to uh, Fort Lauderdale. Okay, Randy, this is great. We're going to have more with you on the other side, okay? Sounds good. We'll be back with more of From Beer to the Bible right here on The Word, 100.7 FM. Finding addiction help is intensely personal, and the differences in options may not be immediately clear. Hampton Ministries was founded with the intent to provide people struggling with substance and behavioral issues with guidance to find the best environment for their well-being and recovery. Our main focus is to help those who use drugs and alcohol to break free and learn to cope with life circumstances. Hampton Ministries provides a rehab welcome kit to provide crucial resources to make their journey a success. Utilizing Lonnie Hampton's principles of character, work ethic, and selflessness, participants learn to hold themselves accountable. We want to help each individual obtain the life skills necessary to live a happy, successful, sober life. If you or a loved one is wrestling with substance abuse and needs help finding treatment or to donate, please visit HamptonMinistries.org. That's HamptonMinistries.org. Welcome back to From Beer to the Bible. Here's your host, Irvin Lee. Welcome back. This is Irvin Lee from Beer to the Bible. We're going to have more from Randy next week. But Randy, please let everyone know where they can reach you if they need help. Well, if you can't find me, you're not trying very hard. But <laughs> you can find me. Uh, of course, I'm on Facebook at Randy Grimes. Also, check out Athletes in Recovery. 
the website is proathletesinrecovery.org, or you can find me at randygrimespeaks.com, uh, 34speakers.com. You can also find me there. I'm on Twitter uh, at Sober Center 60, Instagram, Sober Center 60. And uh, I've recently finished a book that'll be coming out this summer. It's called Off Center. And, uh, you know, the great thing about writing this book is that I've, I've been able to include my whole family in it. And it's been a great healing process for the Grimes family. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. Awesome, Randy. Thank you. And we look forward to having more conversation and hear more of your testimony next week. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I want to leave you today with the love. I love you. The faith is in Christ Jesus and the hope is found in the Lord our God. May God always richly bless you. Thank you for listening to From Beer to the Bible with host Irvin Lee. To learn more, visit FromBeerToTheBible.com. There you can catch past episode podcasts and find other resources. That's FromBeerToTheBible.com.